So on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. And the two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter came and following him, and he went into the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrapping, but rolled up in a place by itself. I just always like the fact that Jesus cleaned up after himself. That's just fascinating to me. But it's still clean. Okay, okay, fine, 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 fine. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying. Guys, do you not, when you hear that, the two angels sitting where Jesus had been lying, do you not see the two cherubim on the mercy seat? Anyone else? Which is where you offer the Passover lamb? Come on, somebody. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know. She did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll, and I'll take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me because I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. And it's been an intense week for these boys, hasn't it? Yes. (sighs) The doors are locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus suddenly came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. How did he get in, by the way? How did he get in? I guess he just isn't in the habit of using the doors. I've noticed this. Post-resurrection, Jesus refuses to use doors. I'm just, see if I'm right. Check it out. From here on out, does Jesus use doors? There's one time where he uses doors. 
Do you know where it is? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone invites me in, we're going to share a meal together as friends. But apart from that, he just shows up. Okay, where was I? I want to finish this chapter here. Jesus stood, stood among them and said, peace be with you. Gabe, hush up. I'm trying to preach over here. The heck's going on? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, just I want you to notice this. This is not Thomas's idea. This is Jesus's idea. But Thomas, who was called the twin, was one of the 12. He wasn't there when Jesus showed up. Can you imagine that? I bet you that was like triggered his like, oh, how's come I'll never get in on it? Everyone says that amazing things happen in their life and that never happens to me. They said, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my fingers in the marks, unless I put my hands in the marks in his side, I won't believe. And a week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be, which is how he always entered a house. Always, every time. Jesus is a man of ritual. You ever notice that? Yes. He does things the same way a lot, yes. except for pray for people. He always prays for people a different way. But he enters the house and says, peace be to you. By the way, that's not just a way of saying hi, is it? It's a prophetic declaration that God's peace is being released here through my words. His peace be unto you. And if they don't receive it, what does he say happens to his peace? It lights, it, it comes back and lands. He receives it like a dove. Or like Noah when he sends out the birds. If they don't find a landing pad, they come back. Okay. He says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Amen. And now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. That's interesting, right? God does all sorts of stuff, but he doesn't take the time to make sure they're in the book. God says lots of stuff, but he doesn't make sure that they're in the book. That's interesting. The book's not supposed to be this complete. The book's not even worried about being perfect, by the way. God doesn't seem to mind if the book's not perfect. You don't like what I'm saying, but one day you'll thank me. Yes. We'll talk about that later on a different Sunday. It's just like, is it okay for God to do something different than you wanted him to do when you were a kid in Sunday school? Yes. 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 He did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book, but these are written so that. Okay, so what's included in the book has a specific purpose. 
The stuff that gets in the book is so that, what? You may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Okay. Sorry to open a little thread there about the Bible and the imperfections of the Bible and then like say, sorry, today we're not dealing with it. Ask me later, and maybe we'll weave it into a different, a different talk. Don't tempt me, Bunny. You're tempting me to, feel, to, fin- to follow that whole logic. And, and... So what is your favorite Easter scene? There's a lot to pick from, isn't there? Do you like the scene where Jesus restores Peter after Peter denies him? Peter betrays his best friend. Have you ever been betrayed by a best friend? You ever been betrayed so bad that you thought the betrayal could never be fixed? You ever betrayed someone so bad that you didn't know how to live with it? Isn't it interesting that Judas couldn't live with what he did, so he hung himself? And Peter was able to be restored. That's fascinating. That's, they, bo- they both messed up. That, that could be somebody's favorite scene. Peter being restored, healed, recommissioned. Another p- potential favorite scene. How about the humility of God? Jesus is on the shore cooking breakfast. Post-resurrection. Because some people think, oh, when Jesus was a man on earth, he humbled himself. But now, now he's no longer humble. Well, he doesn't need to be humble anymore because he's in heaven again. He shows up, first thing he does is he gets down on his knees and he cooks fish. How you boys doing? I made you breakfast. I made you breakfast. Yeah, my kind of friend. Bring me coffee. Don't talk. Right? It's too early. Sometimes that's what I say to some of my children in the morning. Dad. No talkie. How about another favorite scene? The disciples walking on the Emmaus Road and they're just trying to figure out what to do with their hearts. Their hearts are so broken. They're so grieved. They had, they had hoped in Jesus. They thought he was the, the Messiah who would rescue is, the nation of Israel from her oppressors and bring them back into the glorious, uh, you know, uh, like, like the time, the, back in the glory days under David and Solomon. And he didn't. He was murdered. He was killed. He failed. The Messiah failed. What does it mean? We trusted him. We gave our lives to him. Everything we've, every, we, we, man, we went all in. We emptied our pockets onto the table and said, I'm all in. Ha ha. And then he's gone. Now what? You know? We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel, they say. 
And then, of course, they don't recognize him. What's up with that? Do you notice how many people don't recognize Jesus after his resurrection? And I heard somebody say, and I think incorrectly, that he looked so different that they didn't recognize him. I think that's false. I think that is 100% false. Why would he change his appearance completely but keep his scars? Let me ask, why? Why can't they recognize him? Why? You ever try to find something that's right in front of you? Yes. You ever look for your glasses when you're wearing them? Yes. Have you ever texted someone that you can't find your phone? That's what they're doing. They can't see it, not because it's not right there, but because they don't have a category for resurrection. It's not like it's a common thing, guys. People don't just rise from the dead, which, by the way, there are intellectual opponents of Christianity that that's their whole argument. Well, that can't have happened. Why? Because that doesn't happen. I'm like, well, that's interesting. There's no category for that. Therefore, the thing can't happen. Okay, but, but what if it does? Maybe we can re- create a new category. In fact, Paul creates a new category. Since Jesus is raised from the dead, he's 100% sure, that's strong language, that everybody will rise one day. You go, well, that seems like a bit of a jump, but okay. So what's your favorite post-resurrection scene? Mine's this one with Mary. Because for all the cosmic significance of the resurrection, you know, like, wow, like the early church fathers, they called Easter Sunday the first day of the new creation. They called it the eighth day of creation. Genesis 1, six days of creation, one day of rest. And then the church fathers, they looked at Jesus rising from the dead as like the whole universe has now entered a new phase. The whole universe has now entered a new phase. It's the most significant event in the history of the world since creation. Because there's creation, fall, redemption, new creation. That's the story of the Bible. So the resurrection of Jesus is not just, oh yeah, one guy came back, that's nice. It's no, 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 no. God's intention for the entire universe took a sharp trajectory towards its goal. Okay, but, but my favorite part of Easter is that Mary has her name spoken by the one she's grieving the loss of. There's so many, like, there's probably a good thousand-page novel that somebody should write about that one word. All right, because what's the most beautiful name in any language? I'm sorry, what's the most beautiful word in any language? My bad, start with getting the question right. Your name. On the lips of someone who loves you, that you love. That's the most beautiful word in any language. 
And so she can't see, she can't sense, she has no category, she's grieving. And I, don't, I think her grief transcends the religious. Do you know what I mean? It transcends the idea of, I trusted this Messiah figure. There were metaphysical realities and moral truths. No, 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 no. It's, it's the one she's, it's the one that, that there's something going on. You know, real disciple of Jesus, when there's, because there's, there's something going on between them and Jesus. There's something special. It transcends the spiritual and the religious. It takes on, romance is the wrong word, but it's the right area of the heart. Friendship is probably the wrong word, but it's the right area of the heart. The old hymn writers, they all have a funny little way of saying he's the lover of our souls. And I go, I think they're going for something with that, but I can't quite figure out where it is. So my favorite scene is, is the word Mary. Literally, it's my favorite. Because it shows that the best part of Easter is, yes, resurrection from the dead, yes, heaven forever, yes, the hope of the whole world, yes, the validation and vindication of Jesus, yes, the ratification of the whole new cause. Yeah, I get it, all that. But we get him back. We get him back. That's the best part. So, Bunny, if the significance of Easter is not chocolate and rabbits, what is it? Yeah. I'd say that's a good answer. I'd say that's a good, that's a good answer. Uh, here's a question somebody asked me recently. They heard what I believe about all this, you know, God stuff, you know. Uh, they no longer believe in Christianity. They were a Christian missionary, but they now believe it's not true. They believe the Bible's not true. They don't believe, uh, you know, the science of it, the ethics of it. Uh, fill in the blank with another a bunch of reasons. And so I, I engaged. I, I love that conversation. I, the dude's really, he's a cool guy. One of the questions he asked me after hearing that I don't believe lots of things he used to believe. I'm not going to just, you're going to have a lot of open baskets when I talk that don't get stuff in them that maybe raise questions for you. When he lost his young earth creationism, he thought he had to throw out the faith. It's like, well, dude, I haven't been a young earth creationist since 1998. I'm doing all right. Well, what about these imperfections in the Bible? Well, dude, that's the first thing they taught us when we went off to Bible school. I'm doing all right. Huh. But what about these things? Dude, I haven't believed that understanding of the cross for eight years. I'm doing all right. Hmm. Well, Tim, do you believe like Jesus literally was raised from the dead? Absolutely. It's the foundation of my faith. Yeah, but, but you don't believe this other. Yeah, that other stuff isn't the foundation of my faith. Do you honestly think that I trust Jesus because I believe the Bible? Bro, your foundation is backwards. I believe the Bible because I trust Jesus. You got the whole thing flipped backwards. Your system of faith is literally human thinking. You think that if you reason the right way in your own brain, that you'll come to God. 
But there's always somebody smarter than you at that game, because that's a chess game called human logic. And there's always somebody smarter than you at playing that game of human logic. And if somebody can talk you into Christianity, somebody else smarter can talk you out of it. Unless you know Jesus, a living person who walks into the room when you didn't invite him through a locked door, who says your name, who says, put your hands here, whose spirit comes into the room, you didn't make it happen, who changes your heart and life, whose voice you hear in the world. Like Romans 1 says, God makes himself known to everybody. Not God makes an argument so that smart people can get in. If the faith was based on human wisdom, then what the heck is Paul talking about when he says that he wants your faith to be based on the message about Jesus' love when he's dying for your sins says he loves you? Not clever speeches and extremely intelligent, articulate, logical explanations of how life works. Now, am I saying that there aren't some smart Christians? God knows there are. But the danger is that you'll trust smart people's thinking instead of the person, Jesus. Ah. Tim, do you really believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? I do. I do. Well, how much evidence is there for that? A few years back, I bought a book by N.T. Wright. It's like so ridiculous, like 1,600 pages, and it's all about the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And I realized after I bought it thinking, this is going to be great. I'm going to shore up my, my apologetic argument. Like I'm going to have all my truth Yes, I started reading. I was like, I'm so bored. I'm not struggling with that. I, I don't, I'm not. I have this rule of thumb. My faith is centered in trying to allow my soul to ask the questions it actually has and then go on the journey of learning so that the Lord can bring my soul into a better understanding by me honoring and stewarding the questions my soul authentically has. I don't understand why anybody would write a book if it doesn't help them answer the questions their soul is asking. I'm not in, I don't know why somebody would pray a prayer if it does not in some way connect down deep with what their soul wants to say. Amen. The thing is, it's really not as easy as you might think to find your soul. You can stand out in the field and shout for the deer to come. The opposite will happen. And your soul is a lot like that. It's not an obvious feature of who you are. It takes some care to even recognize what it is and when it shows up and to learn to listen to it. I got to get back on track. I have no idea what I'm, what, like how I, I'm Mr. Rabbit Trail. So how much evidence is there for Christianity? Well, I'll tell you one piece of evidence. Would these boys, would these boys die for Jesus knowing that he just was dead he was dead and gone, but they thought, you know what? His teachings were so valuable. I think we ought to pretend that he was alive because these, te- the, you know what the world needs? Better morals, a better, a better list of rules. Would you die for a list of rules? They 100%, every last disciple got killed for Jesus except John, who tra- tradition says they tried to kill him. 
They tried to boil him in oil and he wouldn't die. That's tradition, I don't know. Seems pretty terrible. So one thing I can know for sure, they, the disciples who knew him, they died for the faith, and it seems to me they genuinely believed he was alive. So then the question is, are they all crazy? Is it possible that, that several hundred people, that the original 11 and several, several hundred others, and Mary and a few other people he showed up with, that all of them had some kind of, like the liberal theologians of the previous hundred years used to say, had some kind of mass hysteria where they all fooled themselves into thinking that Jesus was really alive. Well, I guess that's possible, but that's, that's a stretch for me. And here's the... And recently I watched a, a philosopher that I love, or well, a psychologist, but he's a genius, and I'll just throw him in the philosophy camp. I watched a gentleman literally reduced to tears contemplating whether Jesus really was who he claimed. This is someone who I'd like you to pray for. I'm not going to name him today. If you ask me later, I will name him. But he said, there's different kinds of truth, right? There's, there's moral truth. There's metaphysical truth, right? There's... There's, there's the truth of what, what, is, what is ethically uh, universally applicable. Love, like, right? That eventually, that's what I think. When you really dig deep, that's what you'll come to. Love is universally morally true. But that's not a tangible, obvious, like scientific thing, right? So that's kind of out here in the realm of metaphysics, ideas and ideals. But then over here is the realm of Things, stuff. And if you take these ideas and you put them into the ideal, you'd come up with something like a Messiah figure, right? Some person who actually would live, live out the ideal. Bear with me. I know this is a little bit of a stretch. Just keep your thinking caps on for a minute more. If you, if you have a person who embodies the ideal, and he shows up in history, in history, and lives a tangible, practical, real life. That's what the Bible calls the Messiah. It's the the merging of the realms of truth, where the realm of the spirit and the realm of the body, where the realm of faith and the realm of science come together. And I watched this man sit and contemplate and say, with tears like coming down his face, he's afraid it is true. He sometimes thinks, what if Jesus really is what the faith says he is? And he said, if that were true, if Jesus really is the ideal and the tangible united in a person, then the amount of commitment, of trust that that would would press upon me as a person. Like, if that's true, it demands a response. It was fascinating and beautiful to watch this man weep. No evangelist, do you understand? No no Christian, no no church, no, 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 uh, nobody trying to win him to the Lord. No, his own, his own soul reasoning out the options. 
If just materialism is true, when you're dead, when you're dead, you're dead. I guess you could come up with some sort of basis of the meaning of life, maybe. But honestly, nihilism makes sense. But if this other theory is true, there's a God. We are a soul. There's a spirit. There's an eternal destiny for every creature in God's kingdom is the intention. And if Jesus, if this were possible, if what John says, that the logos became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. He made us fish, guys. He cooked us fish. He hung out with us. And he showed us who God is and God's a father. And he didn't fill in our expectations, by the way. Because if God does anything in history, it's going to be offensive, isn't it? Because it'll never match what your expectations were of it, right? Which means, incidentally, only the humble. If God does it, only the humble will receive it. Okay. Should I just start the sermon then? <laughs> so I watched this man wrestling with, what if Jesus really is the Messiah? I would have to, like, what would that demand of me? It's the same guy who says uh, uh, he doesn't call himself a Christian. Because that to him is just the apex of presumption. Why would anyone ever have to say they're a Christian? Your life should show that you're a Christian. No. That's what Kierkegaard said. No. I think it's helpful to own that confession. But C.S. Lewis put it this way. Jesus claimed to be that one. That one who the ideal, the ideas, and all the way to the ideal love, have come down and become a person. And that person lived among us, right? He claimed to be that person. He claimed he was going to give his life as a ransom for many. He claimed he was going to die and rise. He claimed that whoever believes in him will never die. That's a lot of claims. He claimed to be in a face-to-face relationship with the Father. He, came that he, he claimed that he came from the Father and he was going back to the Father. That's a lot of claims, y'all. Every angel ever we ever tried to worship that was a good angel rejected worship, but y'all just saw Thomas say, my Lord and my God, and Jesus didn't reject it. That's some serious claims. C.S. Lewis says, either Jesus is a liar. Either he's a liar, and he has deceived a huge percentage of the population. You know, Christianity is the most successful religion in terms of numbers of anyone, any faith in the history of human civilization. You know that, right? Yes. So either he's not who he said he was and he's a liar, or he thought he was who he said he was and he was a lunatic. Or he's actually Lord. But what he can't be is a good man who you really reverence and take seriously and like to try to follow his example. What he can't be is you get a little WWJD's bracelet and, and, you know, get a hamster and be nice to everyone in the animals. You know, he's not a hippie in a dress and you just follow those ethics. I don't know why I said dress. I could have said robe. But C.S. Lewis says, this friend of mine who, who's crying going, if, that's, if he's really real, it's terrifying to me. 
Because that means everything I've hoped is true, but that also means that, that my choices in my life matter so much. And everyone around me, their, their val- the value of their life matters so much. Life takes on such incredible significance, I don't know if I'm willing to allow my heart to be that open. I don't want the, I'm not sure I can handle the, the world being that full of beauty and purpose and meaning because that demands a response from me. And I don't know if I want to leap all the way in, full surrender, full-scale passion, full-scale love, full-scale hope, like that would demand. Don't you love when non-Christians or pre-Christians have a clearer vision than us? Because that's a clear vision. This is deal with Jesus, guys. Love you guys. This is deal. Now everyone else looked. So, so C.S. Lewis says, you got to deal with Jesus. We'll end with this. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says some folk in, hey, can you all just open that door and let some air in? I'm, I, I was going to exaggerate and say I'm dying. That's too, that's too strong. I'm uncomfortable. That's much more accurate. It's funny what happens when you try to just stop exaggerating in your life. Like measure your speech and be accurate. It's like, oh, hmm, interesting. I know someone who's like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I'm like, okay, let's back down. I think what you should say is, I don't like that. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has heard a rumor that some folk in in the city of Corinth are claiming that there's no such thing as the general resurrection from the dead that's to come. Uh, It makes sense because it's a Greek city. And Greeks like the idea of the immortality of the soul because they think the body is a prison and they want to get free of it as soon as possible. And so in, in a Greek's mind, if Jesus was raised, well, that's weird and unnecessary. Why would he want that? Why would he want to get stuck in a horrible meat sack again? Because Greeks don't have a biblical understanding of the physical material world. The Jews did, but the Greeks didn't. Greeks liked big, smart ideas and disembodied things. And their idea was like heaven would be a disembodied state where we just kind of float and who knows what, but it's, it's not here and it's not stinky. You know, and a, and, a, and a Jew's ideal world is we're drinking wine and we're dancing and, oh uh, boy, there's a lot of children in here. Should I say it? We're making love and we're making babies and we're farming and we're just partying down in the goodness of the creation. That's a biblical vision of the world. There I said it. You know, we're eating pie and, rock and, and we're playing rock and roll. Praise God. You know, come on. And so Paul comes to this Greek church and he says, y'all, y'all are missing it. You're claiming there's no resurrection from the dead. And he says this, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ isn't raised. And if Christ isn't raised, then your faith in him is futile. You're still in your sins. Those who died in him have perished, which by the way is worse than dying. It means that they're lost. And it means that your own, the value of your faith in Christ is only for this life. And if that's true, that's way stinky because what about the fact that we've leveraged present pleasure? Hey, look, it's Jacob again. We've leveraged present pleasure. We've foregone being satisfied and happy and fat and sleek and popular and famous and all that in this life for the sake of instead getting a better resurrection later. We're not trying to get ahead and win. We're trying to make sure Jesus wins. And it's okay if we lose, because we know that in the end, 
there's going to be a great reversal. So if we're this life and only, we put hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than anyone else. I got people telling me dumb stuff like, well, if God turns out to not be real, at least I lived a good life. I don't think you've done the Christian life good enough, well enough. If you would say the opposite of Paul, maybe you aren't making enough sacrifices. Maybe you're not living like it's a war. Maybe you're not selling out. Maybe you're not giving, living, denying self, putting others in front of you. Maybe you haven't let go of your life if you think that. As Paul says, if he's, if he's dead and in the ground and it's not true, then all of us paying a high price to follow, worship, serve, and honor him are to be pitied more than anyone else on the planet. Okay. By logic here, if Christ is risen, not only is your faith not futile, but he, Paul says your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know how many people are just stumbled, tripped up, brokenhearted, feel like God's not faithful and the gospel's not worth believing because life didn't turn out the way they wanted. They've lost sight of the resurrection of the dead. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Until then, expect suffering, friend. Nothing's happening wrong. It hasn't gone wrong. Your vision has failed you. Okay, You're, no sacrifice, no, uh, no amount of obedience, persecution, uh, foregoing of things is in vain if Christ is raised. It'll all be repaid. Not only that, you're not in your sins. Your sins are you're completely forgiven and they're not in you, on you anymore if Christ is raised. If Christ is raised, those... Your parents, your friends, your relatives, those, you know people, correct? You have people you loved and looked up to, you treasured, you cherished. Man, I'm so tempted to tell a story, but I'm not going to do it. In paradise right now, wide awake, wide awake in the glory of God. Rooting for us, by the way. Rooting for us. If Christ is raised, because by the way, the, the question, do we believe in the immortality of the soul or resurrection of the dead? Come on, man. Why do those have to be different? Those, those can work together. Why can't it be both? The Bible says, sure it can. Uh, fourth, we don't just hope in Christ for this life. If he's raised, we have a glorious eternal destiny. In fact, that's who you are. You are an eternal spirit with an eternal destiny in God's great kingdom. That's who you are. You are an eternal spirit with a great destiny in God's kingdom. I know I changed the quotes because I can't say things twice the same way. But that's who you are. You're an eternal spirit with a, with a, with a destiny, a divine destiny in God's great kingdom. Uh, pitied more than all. Oh, my word, guys. If Christ is raised, then the great reversal is coming. And the person who thinks... Like, I remember when I was a kid, there was this like wonderful, loving lady, and she was a, a, a teacher, and she never married, and she was so beautiful and so sweet and so nice, and I remembered this feeling I had as a kid that something was wrong, that she was being wronged by the universe, that, that somehow it was owed her uh, the things that she wanted, 
Like, uh, you know, a husband and children and whatever. I don't even know what all. And I just remembered feeling that. Oh, boy. Jesus talks about people who are single for the sake of the kingdom. You know? There's going to be a great reversal coming where the least, the, the least in this world might be some of the greatest in the next. The, the most ignored, the nobodies, the nameless, faceless, sometimes penniless people that you don't even notice might be the greatest. John Bevere talks about a janitor who led one of the greatest evangelists he ever met to the Lord because that janitor just flowed with joy and was full of scripture and walked with God. Like the people y'all ain't never heard about might be the greatest in the kingdom and some of the people who right now are greatest in the world and the church might be the least in the kingdom. Might be the least in the kingdom. All right, go ahead and stand. We need to get those air conditioners running, boy. How is that divisive? How can there be different opinions on something so obvious? I didn't realize that was a divisive statement. All right, let's do some repeat after me. Who, by the way, whoever's coming up here to, to host the prayer thing at the end, get on up here. Get on up here, boy. <laughs> Sussex County. Come on now. Ah, ready for some repeat after me's? <laughs> I guess if I'm going to ask questions, I better, be, I better be ready for somebody to be like, nah. You know? Because if you can't be honest in church, where can you be honest, right? right. All right. Lord, I thank you. For raising Jesus, for raising me, for exalting Jesus, for giving us back, for giving us back love, for giving us back our hope, for giving us back our life, for giving us grace. We thank you for the resurrection. For the, life for the life everlasting. We thank you that heaven is real. We thank you that there is... Oh, this is getting too long. All right, guys. Let me just work something out here for a minute because I know y'all can't give full-on sentences. Just, just hit pause real quick. I'm just going to pray. God, we thank you that heaven's real, that our hope in you will be greatly repaid, that no labor in the Lord is in vain, that no labor in the Lord is in vain, that the great reversal is coming. I ask Holy Spirit right now for fresh power to understand. I ask God for fresh power to understand, to connect the dots in our thinking so that our hope is in you, so that our, so that our hearts do not wrongly grieve over that which is going to be rewarded. Let us not get buckled under because of what we fail to see. I pray, Holy Spirit, for fresh power to understand the gospel logic of our lives, that we are not to be pitied, that we are not to be, we're not a broken, wounded, oh, you poor thing, oh, you poor, th-. we are overcomers because we are in you, that our day's coming, 
that our reward is coming. Yes. Help this people, God. Raise us up with your son, not just in our thinking, but in our living, in our feeling, and in our loving. Put power on your church, the same power that raised your son. Flame it up into a mighty roaring fire of obedience to Jesus. God's people said. So when Tim was talking about, you know, your favorite, it's, it's been, and, and I saw it again last night, where Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Because Peter had really messed up. And he asked him three times, and I feel like you guys, I mean, some of you know, but my life was a pretty big wreck. <laughs> like everything about my life was a wreck. <laughs> everything. Like just me physically and emotionally, our marriage, our finances, like everything was bad. And I didn't even know about Jesus, you guys. I grew up in church, but I didn't know who he was. I didn't really want to know him either, because that scared me. But then one Sunday, we were living in Florida, and we went to church. We hadn't been in a very long time. And, and the pastor was talking about how, how bad your life can be, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> It stinks. <laughs> and you know, guys, I thought about, like, I could have been a Judas. I didn't think I was anything that Jesus would want. Like, I had screwed up so bad. <sighs> but what I felt that day, and you, some of you might be feeling it too, like, I couldn't get to the front fast enough. And there must have been 500 people, and I don't like being around 500 people. But I needed to know who he was. Like, I had to know. And the pastor's wife, who I didn't know, she just said, do you want to give your life to somebody that can make something out of it? Wow. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think I should. And my life has never been the same. I mean, there's still some hard parts, but you guys, like he really did a... He really changed me. So don't leave here at Judas thinking that there's no hope. Because I'm telling you, that day changed my life. And so if that's you... Don't leave. Please don't leave. <laughs> it takes a lot to make me cry, but <laughs> I don't like to cry because it's ugly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Just don't leave, okay? My brother, Carl, <laughs> he'll be up here, <laughs> right, Carl? And he is so good at telling people about Jesus. <laughs> and so if the prayer team, Stan, if Tom and Teresa, Kate, Pete, if you guys would just come forward. There are people here that love, Carolyn, thank you, to pray and help guide you to find a life 
that you can be wor- you can just be so thankful for. And if you're good, you know what, go and enjoy this day because this is the day that he's made for you. If you need prayer for anything else, man, they're up here. And if some would go back to Tim Freed and pray, I know he would appreciate it. If you don't want to come forward, but you want somebody to come to you, just raise your hand. All right. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it.